Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. So a lot of you have said something at, at some point so far in the last month or two about my all of a sudden growing hair, okay? Let me just talk a little bit about that for a second. I have always buzzed my hair since I was in college for two reasons. Number one, I'm lazy. I don't want to have to do anything with my hair. I could care less. So let me buzz it once a week and be done. The second reason is I'm super cheap. And I have never paid for a haircut in my entire life. When my parents stopped paying for haircuts at the end of high school, I was done. And I've been buzzing since, okay? Uh, the only time I grew my hair back out was for my wedding because my wife told me, I, well, she was my fiance at the time, she told me I had to. And so did my mom. And she was helping with the wedding. So I figured I probably should. But I, I just, I like having, I've always liked having my hair buzzed. But then the kids in the youth group this summer, they're like, or beginning of summer, hey, Kellen, you got to grow out your hair. You look stupid. I'm like, you're stupid. No, I shouldn't say that to them. But I said, if you guys raise $800 for missions out of your own pocket, not from your mommy and daddy's wallets, uh, I will I'll grow out my hair. And so we give to this thing called Speed the Light, and it's a great organization that gives, pretty much does, gets whatever they can into the hands of missionaries to be able, so they can go out and tell people about Jesus. It's really cool. Well, instead of giving 800 bucks, they gave 1700 bucks, which is awesome, Except, it, except that it wasn't, and that I had to grow out my hair. I've never been mad at kids for grow, giving money until then. So fast forward or rewind from, from today. About a month ago, we go to youth convention. And at youth convention, we always take group pictures. And so I'm taking pictures, putting them on Facebook. And my mom and my dad and my little sister, they ganged up on me in like a matter of literally three minutes. I get texts from them, your hair looks so good. I'm like, Shh, stop it. And so this is actually the text that I got between me and my sister. My little sister said, hey, saw a picture of you from this weekend. I really like your, longer, your hair longer. I said, enjoy it while you can. She said, keep it long. You look handsome. She's never said that to me before. She's trying to mani- manipulate things here, and I don't like it. So I said, it's such a pain. This is all about something I like to be lazy with. I don't need to look great. I'm okay with okay. And I thought I really meant it, people. So then what happens, though, is over the course, like the last month, like, I hate to admit it, but I'm starting to like it. Like I walk past the mirror and I'm like, dang, who's that? Looking pretty good. And then I got introduced to this stuff called Aveda hair products, and it makes your hair look good all day. It's expensive, but it makes your hair look good all day. And so my wife likes, and so I'm like, okay, maybe I need to keep this thing going, even though I I've always thought I really don't care about how I present myself to people. That's why I was okay with the buzz. Now the hair's grown out, and I'm, I feel very vain because I like it, okay? Um, don't tell my, my wife I said that. It is really hard for us not to care how people see us, how we present ourselves to people. It's really hard for us. We really are not everything that we present to people. We actually present ourselves usually as better than we usually are. We are usually not as confident as we seem. No matter how nice you act, you probably in your heart, you're really not that nice. In the secret moments, the real you comes out. No matter how carefree you put yourself off as being, you're, you actually care. Uh, 
but we just, we tend to put lies out there. And frankly, I think it's gotten a lot worse with social media. Um, to the point that we will put things out there, of, this is what I want people to see me as, so that's, but even we'll, we'll make ourselves worse off because it's this other, it's like this opposite end of trying to get people to think we're awesome by saying that we're not awesome. It's weird. But I went through and I was looking at some things that happen on social media. And the pictures will be up there. This first one is, she says on here, hey, Bay caught me sleeping. Like, she's trying to say, my boyfriend caught me sleeping, and she's got a mirror in the background, and she's taking the picture. She's lying. She's all alone. Nobody loving her. All right? Next one. This guy thinks that he wants everybody to think that he's a reader. He says, you're not special for reading The Great Gatsby. We all went to high school. Next person says, whenever you feel like you're criticizing anyone, just remember that all the people in the world haven't had the advantages that you've had. Okie dokie, let's tone it down here. I was just making a joke. So was I. That's the first line of the book. <laughs> what? I didn't read it. Yeah, trying to put it off like you've read that book. This girl says, scared to death, someone's trying to break in. Call the police. I can't get to the phone. You wrote this via mobile. Yeah, it happens. One person said, back at school, finally unpacked. Phew. Person's mom said, you're still unpacking. I'm watching you do it right this second. There's no reason to lie. We're getting caught in lies, people. This person said, I'm not studying for finals and banking on the fact that the world is ending in two weeks. And the friend said, you are literally eight feet from me studying for finals. And this last one I like. This guy decides, he puts this up. This is his new relationship. And one of his friends goes to models.com and takes the picture right off of models.com. That ain't your girlfriend. All right, we lie to people. That's what we do. We're really good at it. We want people to think a certain thing of us. And so that's what we've been talking about. We started it last week talking about the lies that we believe. And Eric did a really great job talking about uh, one of the lies being, uh, I am what I do. So my occupation, my successes, my failures, that that is my identity. And it's a lie. And today we're going to talk, it's, it's the same kind of stuff, but it's just a little bit different. The lie of believing that I am what I present, that I am what I present to people. Um, we have this thing where we want people to think certain things of us, but we will, we're willing to lie about it. We want them to think that we're, we're the best parents in the world, that, man, I can drive a car better than anybody. I'm, I'm this, I'm that. It doesn't matter what it is, but we are good at lying. It's what we do. But it also shows that something's missing if we have to do that, if we have to put ourselves out there getting people to think that we're something that we're not. And so there's a bunch of situations in the Bible where people struggle with the same kind of stuff. And one of the ones that I think is the best example that I, that I can think of, it's a guy by the name of Haman. And Haman is the villain character in the book of Esther. And if you haven't read the book of Esther, it is a phenomenal book. If you've read it, it's probably one of your favorite books like it is mine. Now I'm going to go through most of the story this morning. And I'll be honest, there's a lot to it. But to get the whole idea of who Haman was and what he did, we have to go through the story. And so it starts off with King Xerxes and Queen Vashti. And King Xerxes is the king of this large, large kingdom. It's 127 provinces. It goes from India to the land of Cush. And one day he tells, he says to his servants, go get my, my wife, Queen Vashti. I want her to come and I want to show her off to all of my friends. And the queen's like, I ain't doing that. You ain't showing me off in front of your friends. And so she totally disses him. There's a problem because that's against the law. And now King Xerxes is ticked off at her. And so he essentially just says, she will never come back in my presence ever again. 
So now they got to find a new queen. And so they bring in hundreds of these young virgin girls from around the kingdom to kind of train to be the new queen. And one of the gir- those girls that they bring in is a girl by the name of Esther. And Esther is, she's actually a foreigner. She is a Jewish girl. And she had come over with her uncle, Mordecai, and Mordecai actually became her dad. She, he adopted her because her parents had died. They were brought over as exiles by King Nebuchadnezzar, and now they're in this foreign land. And King Xerxes is checking out this girl, Esther. And he finds favor, she finds favor with him. She's absolutely gorgeous. The book, about, the book of Esther says, like, she's gorgeous. And she holds herself with grace. And so she ends up becoming the new queen. But she was careful not to tell anybody that she was a foreigner. Because Mordecai was pretty much like, hey, if you, if you tell him this, it's not going to go good for us. So he forbid her from telling anybody that. So now she's the queen, and Mordecai, he loves, he loves his adopted daughter, and he tries to be around her as much as possible. And so he'll often kind of just stay around the king's gates so that every now and then Queen Vashti will be able to come out or a servant will come out, and he'll talk to, to queen, the queen that way and maybe give her advice. Well, this one day, he hears some crazy stuff when he's at the king's gate. And this is in uh, Esther chapter 2. During the time that Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and found out er, and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals of the presence of the king. In the presence of the king. Now you might think when you hear that, man, this is, this is probably going to be really good for Mordecai. Mordecai is going to be like the hero. And the king is going to make him his right-hand man. It doesn't happen. For whatever reason, the king just he kind of forgets about it. And he's like, good job, Mordecai. Awesome. Keep going doing your thing. Then we get a little further into the book. And kind of out of nowhere, this guy Haman comes along. We haven't, we haven't heard about him at all yet, and all of a sudden, he is the right-hand man to the king. We don't know why that is the case. Now, based on what happens later on in the book, I think it's because Haman has given money to the king. He's a rich dude, and he is willing to give money to kind of bribe the king, and I think that's why he becomes the king's right-hand man. But the king decides, I want this guy by my side. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor him. And so in Esther chapter 3, it says, King Xerxes honored Haman, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid, him, and paid honor to Haman, for the king commanded this concerning him. Then I want you to listen to this statement. This is the second part of verse 2 here. It says, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai wouldn't do it. Now I want you to understand that this is a dangerous thing. It, not only does Haman want these subjects to bow down to him and honor him the king has commanded it and so this is law but he's not he's not willing to do it and so now Haman is getting ticked he his blood is boiling at this point so he's gonna figure out whatever he can do to hurt Mordecai that's what he wants to do and so he starts asking around about this Mordecai guy and he finds out that Mordecai is a foreigner finds out that he's a Jewish person And so he gets a plan in his head, and he goes to the king, and this is what he says in Esther chapter 3. There is a certain people, king, dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. 
Their customs are different from those of all the other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. You see what he did there? He, he's bribing the king to literally wipe out an entire ethnic group from this country. All because one guy wouldn't bow down to him. That's messed up stuff. But before you start thinking like, okay, Haman is the worst guy in the Bible. He's awful. I want you to think about this for a minute. Is there a little bit of Haman inside of all of us? Is there a little bit of us that, man, we want, we want people to recognize us and we will get angry when it doesn't happen? Man, my boss at work, why is he not recognizing all the work that I do? I put in way more time than everybody else. The things that I do, I, it, I, I'm more productive than everybody else, and I'm probably getting the same paycheck. Some of them are probably getting more than I get. When is my boss going to recognize me? You're at the store. Man, I just opened that door for that little old lady, and she didn't even turn around and tell me how awesome I was. I should have slammed it in her face. I hope I've, I've never gone that to that degree before, but I've been upset when they haven't thanked me. Or maybe you're like, like me sometimes, husbands, where why hasn't my wife thanked me for doing the dishes and vacuuming the floor? Like, it was a lot of work. Like, I, I, I know she did all the laundry all day yesterday. She made all the kids' lunches. She cleaned the basement. She, I, I get it. There was, like, a lot of stuff on those dishes. Like, I just want a little bit of recognition. It is inside every single one of us. We are all Hamans. We want people to recognize us for the things that we do. But the story here, it does not end well for Haman. Things don't go well. What happens is this young girl, she's really a young girl, Esther, she realizes as Mordecai is talking to her, she realizes that she has been put into this place of high position, this place of influence, for such a time as this. If you've read the, if you've read the book before, you, that might be one of your favorite verses in the Bible. It's one of mine, where Mordecai's like, you are here for such a time as this. Do something. And so Esther goes to the king, and she says to the king, I want to have a banquet with you and Haman and just me. Just a banquet with you guys. And so they have this banquet one night, and... She doesn't, divide, she doesn't tell the king what's going on. Her plan is to bring him back the next night. And so after this first banquet, Haman's all pumped up. He is that one guy that you know that he is going to do whatever he can to name drop people when he gets a chance to. Or he's going to go on Facebook and tell everybody about how awesome he was that day and all the things that he did. But just be like, yeah, you know, it's just normal for me. And so that's what he does when he goes home. It says in Esther chapter 5, calling together his friends and Zeresh's wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king, the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman said. I'm the only person that this beautiful, gorgeous Queen Esther has invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king and enjoy yourself. Go to the banquet and enjoy yourself. The suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Now that's messed up, if I've ever heard messed up. 
But something happens that night. Something happens that night that messes everything up for Haman. The king is trying to fall asleep, and he can't fall asleep. He is tossing and turning, and he does what any normal person will do when they try to fall asleep. They pick up a book to try to read, because that's going to get you to sleep every time. And so he calls in his servant, and he has the servant start reading from the annals of his, of his kingdom. The, the history books of his time as king, he has that start. And now, that, if you're going to read me a history book, I'm probably going to fall asleep. But that night, he starts to hear once again what Mordecai did for him in, in dissolving that assassination attempt. And so he starts, he's like, man, i got to do something for this guy. So the next morning, when his right-hand man, Haman, comes into his bedroom, this is what he says. What should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? And now Haman gets all excited. Haman thinks to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man that the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that he has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man that the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man that the king delights to honor. Now imagine the horror and the utter humiliation when the king says, that sounds like a really good idea, Haman. I want you to go do that for Mordecai. Like that moment, he, this is a guy that, Mordecai wouldn't do this for Haman. And now he's got to walk around the city with this guy up on a horse. Hey, everybody, bow down to this guy. He wouldn't bow down to me, jerk. This is, a, this is like maybe one of the most humility, humiliating moments in the entire Bible, I think. Haman had presented himself as a man in favor of the king. But all he had done all along, he had only been out to gain praise for himself. And in the end, all that he had lived for was given over to someone else who was truly worthy of the honor that he had sought. See, the story of Haman, it is a tragedy of epic proportions. But it's not a tragedy that I think you and I fall far from. I think we know more about this than we like to, to put on. He, he tried to put himself out there as a man of power, a man of confidence. But in truth, he was a man who was weak. He was a little man. There's not much great to him. Really, his money was the only thing that got him where he wanted to go. So I want us, this morning before we're done here, I want us to ask three questions to ourselves that I think um, in response to the life that we see in Haman, I think it can help us see those moments where maybe we're too focused on presenting ourselves to people in a certain way in all the wrong ways. The first question I want us to ask ourselves is this. Are you looking for importance someplace that you shouldn't be? Are you looking for importance in the places that you shouldn't be looking for it? For some reason, Haman felt that he needed more importance. He was the right-hand man to the king. And he still felt like he needed this little lowly nothing, Mordecai, to bow down before him. Why in the world does he need that? He doesn't need that. He's important as it is. But the truth is, is we all want to feel important. Every single one of us wants to feel important. We want to feel important so much so that we are willing to put out little white lies on social media. Like, this is, what I, this is how awesome my life is. Tell me how awesome I am, people. Like it. Or we throw out there something about our life that we kind of downplay some, some area of our life so that people will be like, no, dude, you're, you are awesome. You're great. 
but I should not have to hear from somebody else how important I am to know that I'm important. When it comes down to it, the fact that we are on this earth, created by God, is we have enough importance inherent in that thing alone that we shouldn't have to hear it from other people. But we want to. My importance comes from remembering that I am the person that God wants me to be. My importance comes from remembering who I am in light of what God says about me. So I want you to think about this. What is it that makes you feel important? Is it the kind of parent that people see you as? I was just talking with somebody after the first service, and he's like, you know, with kids in sports, I, I feel this. Like, I want my kid to be good, or, or, or my kid wants to be good, because we feel like this weird thing of that's what makes us important. And that's not it. Is it your paycheck that makes you feel important? Is it going on to on a social media and telling everybody, this is what my life looks like. Isn't it awesome? And all of this comes back to our identity. Misplaced identity leads us to insecurity, and it goes vice versa. Insecurity leads to misplaced identity. If I'm not seeing myself the way that Jesus sees me, I'm going to be insecure. I've got a, a friend who's a missionary in India named Joe Gordon who was actually preaching at our, our youth camps this last summer, and he said two things about identity that I wrote down because I just thought they were phenomenal. He says, as long as your identity is in something outside of Jesus, you will be consumed by what people think about you. As long as I get my importance from something outside of Jesus, whatever it is, I'm going to care what people think, and I'm going to care too much. Any identity that takes precedence over Jesus is an idol in, in your life. Those things that we are insecure about, those things that I feel like people have to recognize me for, it's become an idol in our lives. Having people bow down to him, that was, that was an idol in Haman's life. It had become his God. When your desire for presenting yourself as important consumes you, insecurity is going to run your life. But when our importance derives from what Jesus thinks about us, what happens is all of our insecurities begin to dissolve away. If you're struggling with certain insecurities, if you're, just, you're struggling with, I need people to, to see me as important, you've got to start to see yourself as Jesus sees you. Okay, so that's the first question. Where am I seeing importance where maybe I don't need to find importance? The second thing is this. Are you looking to steal glory for yourself? That was one thing that Haman was doing. Haman was stealing glory for himself. Haman tried to put himself out there with the king as though, I am, I am all for you. I am for your protection. But the truth is, is when he told the king, hey, you need to go and kill off all the Jews, that was going to create upheaval in his kingdom. That was not bringing him safety. It was Mordecai who was the guy that was out for the king's protection. But what happened is, Haman was trying to get the honor that Mordecai had actually earned. Do you ever present yourself in a way so that you can, you're trying to get undue or unneeded glory? Truth is, any glory that we're trying to get for ourselves, it's unneeded. It's unnecessary. Is there some way that you're gifted in this world? Maybe like you're, you're really good at art or you're, you're athletic or you're super, super, super compassionate or generous. And you try to use those things that you've got going for you to get other people to recognize it. And it... It's hard for us because I think every single one of us would say, yeah, I, I want people to recognize me for things. I want people to point out, like, 
commend me for stuff. And the truth is, with our kids, man, we should be telling them good things. But some of them, what happens is we, we, we say the wrong stuff sometimes. We commend the wrong things. Man, daughter, you're so beautiful. You're so, you're awesome. Kid, you, you're so, you did it. Played such a good basketball game today. When what they actually need to hear is, man, even if you had messed, missed every shot today, God has so much value in you, and I value you for the person that you are. We are trying to get glory that we don't necessarily need for ourselves. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, at the, at the name of who is everybody going to bow down to? At the name of Haman? At the name of Kellen, at the name of LeBron James, at the name of your favorite politician. No. The only, only one that's going to, in the end, get people to bow down to them is Jesus. The problem is, is we're trying to steal some of that glory already for ourselves too much of the time. Why don't we just skip to the end and start giving God glory the way that we should? We need to become people that are, are glory-giving rather than glory-seeking. Um, I think a healthy way of looking at this, I, I say things that my basketball coach used to say a lot because he was a, he's a really wise guy. And one of the things that he would say is, if you're, getting an, if you're having an interview with a newspaper or a news station or something, try to do whatever you can to say good things about your teammates. And so there was one time where the, this news station was, was interviewing me about something uh, during my junior year of basketball. And I'm not going to lie, I said every single one of my teammates' names in that interview and said something good that they brought to the team. Two through 15. So it was like 14 guys I listed off. I'm going to tell you, on the news that night, they didn't have any part of that interview in the, in the newscast. They didn't really care about that. But there's got to be something inside of us. I love that my coach told me to do that because when we're trying to pass off glory onto other people or pass off glory onto God himself... I can't be stealing glory for myself. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. It's crazy how much God values humility. So much so that I think that's one of the main character qualities that we see in Jesus. That he is the most humble character in the Bible that you're going to find. And if that's what he is going to be, why should I be different? So we're through two of these questions that we've talked about. Okay, so what are the, what are the things, ways that I'm trying to find importance where I shouldn't find importance? What are the ways that I'm trying to grab glory where I shouldn't be grabbing glory? The last thing is this. Are you believing a lie about yourself? I think Haman was believing a lie about himself. I think Haman was believing the lie that he could convince everybody around him that he was an a man of integrity, and a man that de deserved honor. I don't think that Haman actually thought that he probably was a man of integrity or honor. I think we actually know ourselves pretty well. We know our character fairly well. I think where we can start to fool ourselves is how we put ourselves off to other people. He really believed that he could trick everybody into believing that that's what he was. I want you to listen to this. People will eventually see through the charade that you put on in an attempt to be what you're not. People will eventually see through the charade, just like, like they did with Haman. Uh, I think one of the greatest gifts that God has to give to us 
when it comes to wisdom is having the gift of self-awareness. If Haman could have just had some self-awareness that, hey, I'm not that great, God still loves me. If he could have had the self-awareness that he was running a thousand miles an hour into a complete death trap, but he couldn't see it. He had no self-awareness. And we, we are people sometimes that we live without self-awareness. We present ourselves in ways that we just shouldn't because it, it's just not accurate. You got, you know, I always bring things back to sports, but I've always I've been around those guys who are they're like, man, you should see me in football when I was in high school. Broke 10 tackles in one play, and then you watch the film, and it's like he got tackled for a 10-yard loss, right? There's one girl that came into to our, our school when I was coaching. She came in, moved in as a freshman. And I remember, like, she was kind of talking big about her basketball game, that she, she had played for some good programs. She was good. The gym teacher came to me. He's like, Kellen, you think you might have a basketball player? And so I was getting a little bit excited, but I was cautious. And I watched her play for four seconds. And I'm like, yeah, that girl ain't getting us to state. It is not happening. Like, she, she's not going to help us at the varsity level. She might help us at the end of the freshman bench this year. But that's about it. We try, we, we put out there something that we are not. Please don't fool yourself into thinking that you're fooling other people. Please don't put, fool yourself into thinking that you are fooling God. There is no need to try to present ourselves as though we have it all together, because we don't. And I said this a couple weeks ago while I was leading us through communion. Paul, in the Bible, he's a guy that understood this. He wrote 28% of the New Testament. He was a guy who, who was killing Christians, gave his life to Jesus, and then ended up, most of the church would have looked at Paul and been like, that guy gets what Christian living's about. But even Paul himself said, I am the worst of sinners, I am the worst of sinners. You don't have to be as bad as a Haman to try to fool people into thinking that you're something better than what you actually are. But we need to get to the point where we become like Paul and we realize, I am the worst of sinners. I need the cross more than I need anything else. And when we get to that place, that's the place where we, we can actually not be concerned about what other people think of us. Who cares what people think? What matters is what God thinks. But we don't remind ourselves of that enough. But we need to be able to, if you can stand before God completely open, completely free with him, it's at that place where we're not going to care about the world's acceptance anymore. I don't think Jesus wants us to be going around worried about feeling important. And that's why I think what's cool about Jesus is, I think the greatest title that Jesus gives to us that we can be is the title of servant. Jesus was a servant. Jesus was one who, they didn't care about him in that world. He was not important to them. That's why they killed him. He was a servant, and he's saying, the greatest title that you guys can have to follow me is to be a servant to all, to be humble. What are you presenting to the world today? Does it matter what people think about you? Do you need the validation of the people around you? You don't need to seek after more value than what God has put in you already. God made you. He was willing to die for you. The cool thing is he will present you to the Father in a holy fashion. 
So we can go to God. We don't, have to have any, we don't have to hold anything back. We don't have to be scared to show who we are actually to God. But the thing is, is it becomes a scary thing because I think about it and I go, there's no way that God can see me as anything other than ugly, anything other than something that is unpresentable. But that's just not the way it is with God. God is not going to be surprised by anything that you show him. He, is, he already knows everything that's there. And at the end of the day, There is nothing more freeing than knowing that you can be real with God and you don't have to worry about what people around you are thinking. So this morning, let's stop valuing what other people think of us more than what God thinks of us. Rest in the comfort of knowing that God is absolutely 100% infatuated with you. Worship team, I want you guys to come back up. And as they're coming up, I want to just bring this back to the story of Haman real quick. In the end of this story, Haman was lifted up 50 cubits high in the air. And he was killed because he had sought out glory that wasn't his. He presented himself in an unworthy manner. He tried to get people to think that he was something that he wasn't. You and I, we are all guilty of the same kind of stuff that Haman has done. We're all guilty of putting ourselves out there in a a way that's just not real. But Jesus went to his death in our place. Like Haman, he was lifted up high in the air. He was put up on a cross. And he died for us so that he could present us to his Father in glory. That the glory that Jesus lived with, that as he died for us and he took his sins on us, he gives us over his righteousness and his glory so that when we are presented to the Father, we have his righteousness. We have his glory. The bottom line is we are absolutely 100% accepted by God because of what Jesus did for us. We have the favor of God. What other kind of favor do we actually need than that? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.